0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's easier sitting where you are sitting. Um, It just gets hotter and hotter the closer you get to this, what they call a pulpit. And um, I was told by those who have gone before me that it really gets hot out here. Um, That is why they've supplied me with three bottles of water. Um, And I have lint from others to come prepared with two handkerchiefs and not just one handkerchief. But we trust that God will help us today as we deal with this. um, And I'm glad uh, Denver mentioned that it's a difficult subject um, and it is. It's controversial, but it's also a subject that's um, widely written on and there is a lot of material on that. To narrow that down, um, we've we've, um, focused specifically on um, this particular topic and how it impacts on the whole issue of women in leadership, women in leadership. This was one of our topics that we had in our studies, in our study group. And so some of what I'm presenting today is part of a group um, a group of theologians, I'm just new, but the other theologians who contributed was, was Mark um, Mark Smith and a gentleman by the name of Basil Julius to this uh, particular subject. And uh, it's, it's so fitting that we're actually dealing with this because not too long ago, um, another theologian by the name of Cameron, you heard about him, and I'm intentionally mentioning theologian because last week, uh, Pastor Denver did mention, we are all theologians. If you're studying scripture, if you're getting to know scripture, and we'll pick that up even now when I speak about the feminist movement, because they too believe that they are theologians. If you're studying scripture, then you're a theologian. We do it, obviously, with the intent to bring glory uh, to the living and true God. But when he was speaking, if you listen carefully, and for those who didn't, now it's time to listen very carefully, And I'm not going to recap everything. There's just no time for all of that. But he said two interesting things or very important um, points that he made. One of the most important points that he made, besides all the Greek, you know, um, the poimen, the presbyteros, um, etc., describing the same person. And then later on, he ended off by saying, not just the same person, but the same man. So all those three descriptions about leadership in the local church, which was the elder, the overseer, and the pastor, they all referring to the same, not only person, but the same man. And that was so very, very important, especially in the light of Evangelical feminism and ultimately the broader feminism, feminist movement, because they question that. They question that it can only be a man. Had Cameron stopped and just mentioned it's the same person, then it would have made my life a bit more difficult. But he stuck to scripture. It's not only the same person that the Bible's referring to, it's also the same man. So what I want to do is just briefly take you through um, what, what we have uh, considered to be very important in this particular subject and highlight some of the key things. I also, just before I want to start, just tell you that this is a controversial subject. It's about women and men. It's about male and female, especially in the family, um, the local church specifically that we want to have our consideration this morning. Uh, it's, it's also a topic that I want to suggest quickly, very quickly, to those who are single here. This is a, it's a fantastic topic to deal with. It takes me back about 20 odd years, probably 25 years ago when I met uh, Portia, who's my wife, and she's not here to confirm or verify what I'm saying. Um, She had to rush off to Johannesburg on some work uh, business. But when I met her for the very first time in her house, after the initial introductions and realizing that we had a common interest, one common interest at least, um, that we were studying at university, and the second common interest was that we were both believers. And so the discussion ensued, and guess what was the topic that we actually ended up talking about. The first topic we spoke about was the role of women and men in the local church. Can you believe it? I used that topic to set up another appointment. And from that appointment came an engagement or a courtship. And from that came marriage. Young people, this is a very good pickup line. Use it. Controversy can bring people together. And so we're going to look at this controversy and hopefully hopefully, we can achieve the following objectives. So quickly, we want to define what feminism is and very briefly, there's certainly no time to go through all the definitions, but we've tried to narrow them down. We want to present some sort of historical development of feminism and see how did we really get to where we are today and we hopefully will, will show where we really are today. To show the difference between an egalitarianism and complementarianism view. And let me say this up front that we're not going to spend too much time on that this week. There is a second week that Denver graciously and the elders have graciously given to me. And in that session, we will delve much more deeply to explain the biblical teaching of, on the value, the role, function of male and female. And then lastly, to affirm scripture that only men can qualify for eldership. Um, That's ultimately where we are heading to. Our plan, session one this week, we want to look from a hermeneutical approach and just see how the theology has developed um, with regards to to, uh, evangelical feminism. And then I'll give you just a little bit of a foretaste on the egalitarian and the complementarian view and how they differ. In session two, we go into something more detailed. We have an exegetical approach and we'll deal with specifically scriptures like First Timothy 2, which is what feminist or the evangelical feminist movement use to actually support their, their teaching. First Corinthians 14 is another one and then we will look at um, finally the complementarianism that we believe um, is biblical. Well, I'm hoping that the the church here also believes that. But let's start with the scripture reading. And we're not going to touch on too many scriptures. As I said, next week we will deal with all the detail. But we need to read just to give us guidance and to show where we stand um, in terms of scripture. Second Peter 1, 20 to 20-21, a very important scripture. But know this, first of all that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. I trust that as we just read that Scripture, God will bless it to our hearts, that we would be assured of the fact that the Word of God that we have in our possession today and almost in abundance is because of God's work and through His Holy Spirit, and that we are not at liberty to just be willingly foolish, um, unwise about how we go about studying Scripture and interpreting Scripture. The source of all Scripture that we have in front of us is from God and from no one else. So, feminism, just quickly. On the stages of feminism, for those who cannot uh, read from the distance, I will. Um, my apology for that, if the font is just uh, slightly too too small. But basically, we look at three stages, and we're probably in the fourth stage by now. Stage one, from the in the 60s, about a decade, um, it's probably around it. Off stage two. In the 70s, and then stage three in the 80s, and we now where we are in the year 2024. Stage one was when there was a deconstruction of Judea Christian view um, of womanhood, and this is coming from the feminist movement when the focus was on naming self. The second stage was where they focused on naming the world, where they deconstructed. And please note the word deconstruction. It appears and reappears when we speak about certain attacks on the Bible and on God um, from the world and from culture. Deconstruction of manhood, of gender relationships, family, societal structures, and the Judeo-Christian worldview. Stage three was about naming God, where we ended up with self-deification and the rejection of the Judeo-Christian deity. And those are the three main stages that we, that we deal with um, in, in, in our study. But where we are today, you might as well include a fourth. Because now we're not just speaking about naming self and naming the world and naming God. Now we're at the stage where we're talking about transgenderism, where we're talking about How do we define a woman? Um, We are talking about self-identifying ourselves as whatever we want to do and whoever we want to be. We are worse off than ever before. What is sad for me is that when we look at feminism, we know that that's an external attack or external threat in terms of philosophy and ideology against the church of the living God. But the sad thing is when feminism influences the church, influences the people of God, causing great division amongst God's people. And that's where we are at at this present moment. I would never have thought that 20 years ago, not even probably 10 years ago, we'd be talking what we're speaking about. Debating the kind of things we're debating um, in, in our current world and in our current culture. It's amazing how quickly things have changed in the church. And that's because I believe we've allowed feminism to influence, that culture to influence our thinking. Just a few uh, definitions on, on feminism, and there are numerous definitions. They all are very similar, and they add this or subtract this, um, so i've just kind of narrowed it down to one or two so that we get a feel for what we're dealing with. So we know that we are dealing with um, feminism, but we also know we want to start speaking about evangelical feminism but let's st- let's stick to feminism for the m- for the meantime. Feminist theology claims to seek the equality, justice, and liberation of women. From what it perceives to be oppressive male systems of power and domination in religion. I think that's pretty simple. To understand that there is this view that women are being oppressed. There is this view that the oppressor are these people called males. And they come from a system, a theological system, that exists in the Bible. And that is why we are oppressed. And we need to fight, therefore, I'm speaking on behalf of the feminists now. We need to fight for our liberation. We need to fight for equality. We need to fight for justice. A second definition. The advocacy of women's rights on the grounds of political, social, and economic quality to men. Evangelical feminism. You pick that up, the difference? We were talking about feminism. We're moving now slowly into evangelical feminism. That's where we want to spend some time. Evangelical feminism is the related belief that men and women can and should exercise the same offices in the church. And that husbands and wives should mutually submit to one another in the home. This week we won't look at those scriptures in detail, but we'll see how that actually, when we unpack it, we'll actually see how... Evangelical feminists actually use the scripture, the very word of God that you and I grew up with and we've taken for granted all this, all our lives. To show a distinction between male and female in terms of roles and functions, etc. They take those very scriptures and they tell us you are wrong. So we just want to look quickly from uh, those definitions, let's, um, let's see the difference between all the types of feminist or feminism, feministic groups. You get secular ones, and again, we won't spend too much time on this. You get secular. These are people that reject the authority of the Bible in totality, and they make no secret about that. They're just secular. They're from the world. They have no time for scripture they don't believe in it. They don't accept the Bible as authoritative in their life, personally, collectively, or from a national point of view. Then you find the religious feminism. This is a group of people who still rejects Christianity. However, they speak just from a generalized religious point of view. Beyond that, we have Christian uh, feminists, They claim that they are committed to Christianity. I say that claim because that's not necessarily true. But they claim commitment to Christianity. And they only partially submit to the authority of the Bible. How we know that is because when we listen to what they say, when we read their ideology and philosophy, it certainly is not in sync with what we believe in where we totally submit to the authority of Scripture. And then we get to the evangelical, feminist. They actually claim a high view of Scripture. They believe that the Bible teaches full equality of men and women. They believe that there is no role and function distinction when it comes to the genders, men and women. So notice carefully, when we're talking about evangelical feminists, there are some claims that are commendable. When they say that they claim a high view of Scripture, we need to interrogate that, but in our language, we speak about also uh, maintaining and honoring God's Scripture above anything else. And then they add to that the, the old issue about value and equality of men and women. And further to that, it seems they're going off the tracks when they start talking about the roles, that there is no distinction in the role. We did say earlier on we also want to touch a little bit about their hermeneutic. And we want to speak about how is it that they go about interpreting Scripture. For those of us from LHBC and for those of us who are generally from the Reformed world, um, we believe in a literal, grammatical, historical, contextual um, approach to, to studying Scripture and understanding and interpreting what the Bible has to say. When we listen to the evangelical feminist, we find that fundamentally there's actually a difference. At times you will find that they say certain things that sounds okay, um, but with further investigation, you, you ultimately find that there's a deviation. So I'm hoping that at, uh, I'm hoping that at Living Hope Bible Church, uh, that the elders here do submit to a, a literal grammatical, contextual, historical, um, hermeneutic And as I said that All of them are looking down I'm not sure What that, uh, what that means uh, But there I see a smile now So it means that they, they, they Do commit to that I'm glad for that Listen to some of the principles That when we speak About evangelical feminism How they actually go about Understanding scripture and so what one writer has done, and it's, it's, um, he, is in our, he is in our references, he has taken some of these things, and I've not used all of it, but I've just used some to give you a taste of how they go about interpreting Scripture. So under ad hoc documents, I will explain what they mean by that. What they actually are saying is that some of Paul's writings was not meant for everybody, and it was not timeless. It's ad hoc. It was to address a specific problem at a specific point in time. For example, he writes to Timothy in in the book of Timothy, and he addresses heresy, and he addresses false teaching, etc. And so at that particular church, they are saying that this was just an ad hoc letter. Paul's writing and saying to Timothy, deal with that problem. And so whatever that instruction is giving was only for that church and only for that period of time. Now that's dangerous because there's a lot of other teaching in Scripture. And if we continue with that type of hermeneutic, we're going to tear out a lot of pages from Scripture. And we're going to keep on saying this doesn't apply to us today. We need to be careful about that. Dangerous hermeneutic. Because even if you look at Timothy and the writing to Timothy, it was Paul who actually didn't only deal with that particular issue of heresy. But he writes and he says, he extends actually the reason in 1 Timothy three fourteen to 15. He wants Timothy to know how not only he... But the entire church needs to conduct themselves in the house of the Lord. And that that teaching is not only for the believers at Ephesus. It's not only for Timothy, but it's for all believers, all churches, for all time, until the Lord comes. We cannot confine all instruction only to early Christians. So they fall flat with that particular hermeneutic. Then they go further and... It is called the interpretive center. The meaning of this particular hermeneutic is that they use a theological text as their starting point. A kind of text that they say, you know, this text is the main text. This text is the text that actually has authority over all other scripture. And they try and look for, they try and look for a specific text. Um, text to use that um, approach. In their case, there is a particular text that they love to run to. In fact, if you've come across feminists, if you've come across um, evangelical feminists, if you come across anybody who is of an egalitarian persuasion, they would throw that particular verse at you Almost immediately. And that's their go-to verse. If you look at my notes, I don't have it there. Because to tell you a lie, I forgot. I'm just being honest that, that I'm lying about it. Because I want somebody to help me. So who can help me with that text? I don't want it from the elders. I know that you are literal, grammatical, uh, contextual is there anybody? Is he on the right track? Galatians three. Verse. That's the go-to verse. You need to know that. Verse twenty-eight. Verse twenty-eight. Uh, do you have it in front of you, brother? You do. Uh, can you just mention, just quickly? So they go to that text. For those who are online, if this is online, then please, Galatians 3 verse 28 is where you need to be. That's what is known as an interpretive center where they want to interpret all Scripture from that particular verse only. It's dangerous because now you're ignoring all other verses. And we should not be using one Scripture above the other. Scripture should be used in harmony with each other. And Scripture supports a particular um, theology, a particular point, um, etc. That's where they also fall flat. The analogy of faith is the next one. We all know that scripture cannot contradict scripture. That's true. And so, all scripture needs to be needs to be studied. And again, they go to Galatians three twenty-eight there because they want to use that as a preference. Again, we are arguing you cannot use one scripture in preference over another. And then lastly, interpretation culture. Interpretation culture. I think we touched on this already earlier when I mentioned that uh, the the feminists argue from the point of view that certain things are said in scripture for a specific audience, only for them and only for a specific period of time. So they do believe that when you interpret, you interpret from that cultural point of view. Can you imagine if we had to apply that kind of hermeneutic in our day and age in South Africa? If we were going to use the culture of the day to try and understand what the Lord is saying to us, what we need to believe in. So they don't believe that that there is a distinction between what is normative In terms of what needs to happen, what needs to be ongoing, what needs to be done, what needs to be uh, obeyed as commanded and what is cultural, what only stays in a particular culture for a particular point in time. Hence, we say that we cannot accept the hermeneutic of the evangelical feminist movement because it is not literal, it is not grammatical. It is not contextual. It is not historical. I also did say as one of our objectives, we just want to give you a foretaste this week of an egalitarian versus complementarian um, view. And I'm going to read some of these um, out to you. Just before I do that, I just want to also... And I'm not sure if I'm repeating myself, but I do want to just highlight that when we dealt with all the different types of feminist groups and we ended up with the evangelical feminist movement, that very movement is well known as egalitarian today. And hence we talk about egalitarianism and we talk about complementarianism. And the two The two are different, and we will show how they are different and maybe where they are similar. And just a, a, a simple diagram here just to illustrate that point. Next week, we're going to show more of that when we go and dig a little bit deeper. From an egalitarian point of view, they refer to creation as creation of male and female. I'm so glad that they stopped there at male and female and they didn't say that God created every other type. Created male and female. Based on that, they say there's equality in essence between a man and a woman. Added to that, they then say equality should be in the role also of a man and a woman. So they derive from the equality of essence equality in the role also. And then further to that, they look at culture and they say male patriarchy resulted actually after the fall. And we need to test that. The complementarians say the following. When we look at creation and we look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3, just like the egalitarians look at it, who are the actual evangelical feminists, We see that God has created male and female. We concur. We also have to agree that when God created male and female, he created them equal in essence and in value. That's not debatable. It is clear. But it's very clear from those very chapters and other chapters which we will show to you in the New Testament is that there is a distinction in the role between a man and a woman. And furthermore, it didn't happen only after the fall. It happened actually before the fall. And again, next week, we will show that very clearly when we spend all our time just looking at those verses. And it will unfold for us as we look deeper, deeper into those verses. The egalitarians also said there's no restriction to, to, um, to the home, like Titus says. Um, they are saying, no, we are equal with men and therefore we can, we can just move and go anywhere, do what we like, etc., whether it's in the workplace or whether it's in the home, we enjoy equal status. Complementarians on that particular point says, well, it's not limited to culture or to time. That um, restriction is abiding even till today. They go further and say there's no prohibition in in who can become an elder. First Timothy 2, First Corinthians 14. It was limited. Here we go again. It was limited to Ephesus. It was limited to Corinth. The complementarian says no, it was not limited, and we're going to show that again next week. And then, lastly, the egalitarians. They speak about reinterpretation based on cultural changes. Now, that in and of itself, that very statement in and of itself is not only a dangerous statement. It must just send alarm bells ringing when you hear something like that. Reinterpretation. I'm sure some of you have followed, even in America, within certain denominations, Christian denominations, where this word reinterpretation Review, re look at scripture has come up so often, so often in discussions. We didn't realize that there's a need to reinterpret scripture. We've been having scripture with us for almost 2,000 years. And for almost all that period of time, we've believed what we believe today about male and female. Why do we think there's a need to reinterpret scripture after all this period of time? By the way, as the writers write, we have picked up that the feminist movement and then its subsequent influence into the church has only arisen and taken place probably over the past hundred years. So I want to summarize And I'm not sure how big that is, but let me summarize for you what we've discussed today. We know that evangelical feminism is real and it's alive and that it impacts the church today. But evangelical feminism has been heavily influenced by the feminist movement. The feminist movement is external to the church. Evangelical feminism claim to be believers who believe in the authority of God's word, and yet they allow themselves to be influenced by the culture to the extent that it has been influenced. Egalitarianism, influenced by growing feminist culture, that today people are confused within the church And even in some churches, people are asking who is a woman and who is a man. Some are then questioning, "Can can a woman then be an elder, a deacon in the church? Thirdly, we've looked at the principles of interpretation from an evangelistic or evangelical feminist movement point of view. We have concluded that it's inconsistent with the literal grammatical contextual and historical approach or hermeneutic to Scripture. The egalitarian hermeneutic at the very least is suspicious and it focuses on reconstruction and it wants to reconstruct just about everything or every aspect that the Bible speaks about. Fifthly, complementarianism is based on the Bible. We believe. And complementarianism says there is no need to reinterpret scripture. We know exactly what the Bible teaches. And we've got the history behind us. We've got 2000 years of men and women studying scripture, of the Bible being being challenged, of the Bible being questioned, of scholarly work and the like. Sixthly, the church is constantly under attack. Even from within. And that's sad. Because wherever you find a local expression of the church, like LHBC, there is the danger. There is the risk that you could find feminist influence right in our midst. Right in our midst. Can sneak in right in our midst. Under our noses. Somebody, bodies could be seated here, could join the church, and they are feministic, and they sow the seeds. We need to know what the enemy is up to. We need to know what the enemy stands for. We need to know what the enemy believes so that we can identify that too because we know what the truth is. The church will remain under this attack. It seems it's getting worse and worse and worse. But we thank God. For the inerrancy, the inspiration and the authority of scripture that will prevail. Scripture will prevail. And we know that it has stood the test of time and it will stand the test of time. Having said that, let me end off with this beautiful scripture. If you thought Second Peter was a great scripture. Then listen to Second Peter chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. What a wonderful scripture. What a wonderful reassurance that both these scriptures give us, 2nd Peter and also 2 Timothy. The source of all scripture is God. It's all inspired by him, given by him, provided by him. No one can sit in his small little corner and think he can interpret scripture all on his own and for himself and come up with doctrines all by himself. It will lead to false conclusions we thank God for his word and we pray that as the scripture has taught us that all scripture is inspired by God it's profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work that that might be a reality in your life as well as my life And these are only some of the references that we consulted and we'll show you more references the next time we meet. And the next time we meet, I remind you, we will do some exegetical work where we're going to focus on certain scripture, zoom in and do some digging and explain to you how the evangelical feminist, how the egalitarian movement actually attacks scripture actually use scripture to come up with their views. And then we'll show from scripture the how we refute that and what the scripture clearly teaches us in terms of who can become an elder in the local church. What is the role and function of a man and a woman um, in the local church and in the family? I trust that God will... Bless what we've dealt with this morning. I know it's a lot of information, but let me say this to you. Next week, it gets more exciting. Those of us who are studying, we're now studying Greek. So come next week, if you want to hear a little bit of Greek. We're going to speak some Greek next week, and we're going to test what we've been learning from uh, Pastor Denver. He's the one who's lecturing us. And if we make mistakes... Next week, you blame the teacher. Um, you won't blame us. But we, we, we're on that exciting journey. And I, I promise you, um, even a little bit of Greek goes a long way to understanding Scripture better and better. And the more we learn what uh, the original languages teach us of Scripture and about God, we can therefore, with confidence, refute any false teaching, um, any false doctrine. That comes our way. I'm going to end here now, and I'm going to take no questions at the stage. And the reason for that is, the reason for that is, or reasons. One is I'm just thirsty, and the other reason is that whatever question you have, I've probably already answered. And secondly, we will answer next week. We will definitely answer next week. You don't get to make that call. So <laughs> uh, Our time is almost done. So we have about 10 minutes left. Normally we, we break about this time. Um, thank you. Well, well done. Uh, good, good explanation of a very difficult topic.